It's hour two of the game. Mitch Fortner, Troy Coverdale, Big Steve. Had Big Steve play Ric Flair's theme song for a couple of reasons. One is because, well, shout out to K-State Baseball. And the Woos out at Toyton Family Stadium. You could hear it for the second half of the season, and it was awesome. Loved it, especially yesterday with the eighth inning grand slam by Nick Goodwin to win it over the Baylor Bears. But also, uh, you know, 99.5% of wrestling stories I wouldn't bring up on the show. It's got to be really interesting to bring it up, even though I'm a big wrestling fan. But when I see the headline, legendary wrestler Rick the Nature Boy Flair, which, by the way, it's not Rick the Nature Boy Flair. It's the Nature Boy Rick Flair. Get it right, jabroni. (laughs) He's going to step into the ring one final time in July. That tells you how long it's been since he was wrestling. The person writing the story didn't even, wasn't able to give the right name. I mean, he technically (laughs) did, but you gotta, you gotta put it in order. Correct. (laughs) It's like when they used to call, it's Macho Man Randy Savage. It's not Randy Macho Man Savage. It's just weird when you throw throw the nickname in the middle of the name. A lot of people do that. I'm like, no. It's not Dylan Whammer Phillips. It's Whammer Dylan Phillips, even though people just call him Whammer. But um, the story is, and this came out earlier this morning, that Ric Flair, the 16-time world champion who has not been in the ring since September of 2011, is going to get back in July 31st in Nashville, Tennessee, opponent to be named later. And Russell one more time at the age of 73. Now, I've seen videos going around of him being in the ring. I mean, he still looks fine. Like, he's in, for 73, he's in good shape. And we're talking, he's, boy, I think it was five years ago. Like, he was on his deathbed. Like, life support about to die. And he kicked out at two and a half. So, then does he pull the Undertaker's stunt and come out of a coffin? He, uh, I was about to make a joke. I was, uh, well, I was to say he might be leaving in a coffin. I don't know, but yeah, well, there is that matter too. Maybe that's in poor taste. Yeah, but I'm sure he's heard that kind of joke on social media today. The thing is, at that age and getting in the ring, like he's been the expert of taking side bumps, so he doesn't land straight on his back. He lands on his side, which limits the contact because, and I'm sure most have no clue at all. But I've done it before, and when you get dropped on your back in the ring, it sucks. It is terrible. It is literally the make or break if you want to really do this or not. It is much more painful than you would probably imagine. But yet guys do it all the time, and it's the adrenaline rush of being in front of crowds that make you want to get back out there. I get where Nature Boy's coming from because he said before he's never going to retire. And it's like, you know, like Ben, Ro- it was brought up on the Dan Patrick show, like Ben Roethlisberger never wanted to retire. It was just that time. Maybe wasn't where he was back in his prime. Maybe the uh, franchise, it was time to get rid of him. So he's going to give us the mini Minoso treatment, basically, where it's one appearance a decade until he's gone. Uh, I don't know. I mean, he was a full time wrestler 10 years ago. At 63. Yes. Good Lord. Full time. <laughs> and so maybe not wrestling every week, but he was on TV every week. And if folks don't understand where I'm coming from with the Mini Minoso deal, that was a case where 
uh, that the White Sox kept trotting him out there for one game every decade uh, over the last 30 years of his life so that he could just keep resetting the record until Buck O'Neill set it for being the oldest man to appear in a licensed ball game, if you will. But here's the deal. like, So this Jim Crockett promotion, which goes back a long time, is going to be putting on the show, and it's going to be a pay-per-view on Fight TV on July 31st. So it's going to be so people can watch it but the thing is here's what I fear. I fear that this doesn't go well. Like it's a bad match or it looks bad or there's too many mistakes. And he's going to want to get back out there and do it again. Like at that point I feel like it's going to be going too far. Like reaching for something that just isn't there. Trying to put on one last great show and just doesn't have what it takes to do it anymore. Now it's Ric Flair. He could get out there and just throw a couple of punches and people are going to eat it up. And he's going to do his, you know, his bad guy gimmick where he, you know, flops on the ground and begs for mercy. His whole shtick. I hope it goes well. I don't know though. I don't know. Seventy-three years old and trying to get back out there for one more. Be interested to see who he wrestles. Uh, his uh, daughter Charlotte's about to get married really? to another wrestler. All right. Um, another thing, I do want to give a shout to, uh, I got this text just moments ago that uh, Manhattan High Boys Golf uh, has won their regional. Five Manhattan High mm-hmm. Indians finish in the top nine, including freshman Tate Reed winning it all at two over. Their, two, go ahead. Two over was a one stroke winner. Yeah, but Rolling Meadows there in Milford. Mm-hmm. Over at Junction, yeah. So congratulate, yeah, Junction City putting it on. So congratulations to uh, Manhattan High Golf winning regionals earlier today. But the big topic here in uh, hour number two here, and this is from the weekend. This is the recruiting win or wins of the weekend, and that is head coach Chris Kleiman of K State football, of course, adding a couple more gentlemen to his roster from the transfer list. And um, I got to say, like. This isn't going to jump out as the biggest gets in the world, but they are addressing an area that needed a couple of more guys. And maybe this is maybe putting a cap on the word that's been out there for the last couple of weeks, and it was definitely a highlight of Chris Kleiman's last press conference saying that you know the depth of the secondary and the depth of the defense isn't where it needs to be. And what do they do? They go into the transfer portal and they go get some guys on defense. I know there's one linebacker that is still pending. He's from Tyler College, Tyler Juco from uh, in Texas, and his name is Gavin Forsha, linebacker, 6'3", 215, who I think would be a tremendous addition to the team. Would definitely play. I mean, they're, they're, when, they, when they're adding guys to the from the portal, I mean, these guys are going to play. I would highly imagine so. But secondary has been a big focus and K-State has added out of their 12 transfers, half of it's been in the secondary. And certainly it's an area they do need to add to because, I mean, for instance, you lose three starters at safety last year. Uh, Russ Yeast goes in the NFL draft. Reggie Stubblefield is currently uh, with the Chiefs. And then also you had a couple of corners. They decided into the transfer portal in T. Denson in Justin Gardner. So they're gone as well. So certainly an area they needed to address, but also I'm sure they needed guys as well because they're going to be losing Julius Brintz this year, Echo Boido, and this is an area 
I, I, now I'm forgetting what class Echo is in. I believe he's a senior. Might need to double check. For some reason, I'm blanking on that. But uh, And I can double check here in just a moment, or somebody can let Big Steve know. Um, for some reason, I'm blanking on it. But um, this past weekend, Javion Carr, who's a 5'11 corner, who's originally from Texas, but he spent his freshman year at Arizona, he has picked K-State. But this is a guy that he didn't play last year. Now, when he was originally recruited, a three-star kid, and he picked Arizona, and he had K-State on that offer list, but he didn't pick the Cats. He goes to Arizona to be a different kind of Wildcat, the Tucson, Arizona brand of Wildcat instead of Manhattan, Kansas. But he had some also some other decent offers out there. Texas Tech was in there, Tulane, Arkansas State, but he picked Arizona. He did not play at all last year, so he has all of his eligibility remaining. So you have a guy that could be around here for quite some time, and hopefully it pans out. Justice Clemens, guess where he's from? Tyler Junior College in Texas. Mm -hmm. Which also, there's another defender coming there from there who's already here. He was here for the spring, and he happens to have an amazing name in Kobe Savage. So old Tyler Community College over there down in Texas has been some sort of a pipeline there for K-State to add some guys out of the portal. Now, say a few things about Justice Clemens, twenty uh, make that 36 tackles and two interceptions, some decent numbers, and this is from his last year. He was a sophomore last year, so three years of eligibility remaining. And as he is a former teammate of Kobe Savage, they were uh, addressing each other on Twitter. They're pumped to play with each other once again, and Kobe is definitely going to be a guy that's going to be a safety for K-State this year and be in a role and most likely is going to be a starter. But with these two additions who are most likely going to be corners, those positions already taken up by Julius Brintz and Echo Boido. So we know they're not going to be starters. But like we said, this is an area they needed to get some guys for depth. No doubt about it. Hopefully we'll get that linebacker. And on the defensive line, you feel pretty good with what K-State has right now. But this truly does feel like, all right, they have feels like they've capped off what they've needed. They've got the guys they need. They have transfers who will play. They will rotate in and be some solid depth. Now, I say solid, but we don't exactly know how good these guys are going to be. I would imagine Javion Carr is not going to be a huge factor right away. He might be playing very little this year, but moving on after this next season, he's going to have that opportunity. So I wouldn't expect Carr to be out there a ton, but Justice Clemens is a guy who has played. He has played two years at the JUCO level. He has experience, and is somebody I would expect to see out there and, and on the playing field. But K-State has addressed this, and that was a big need. And you would imagine Sean Robinson, who came into K-State as a, as a secondary guy, he is most likely going to move to linebacker position, outside linebacker type of thing, um, Sam linebacker type of thing. That's most likely what's going to take place. But I've also mentioned, you know, a lot of names I mentioned earlier, are guys that transferred. Julius Prince, Reggie Stubblefield, Russ East. I mean, if you take a look at the track record with Joe Klanderman, mm-hmm. you, you understand what I'm getting at here. They've done pretty well. They've done a good job of going out to the portal, getting some guys to play right away in the secondary, and they've panned out. Russ East in the NFL draft. Julius Prince is going to start a corner for the second straight year 
Reggie Stubblefield, and not to mention Justin Gardner. Justin Gardner was also, I believe, a transfer, and uh, and that worked out for a couple of years. And Reggie Stubblefield, who had the numbers that we all that was questioned, it turned out some weren't even real. It was a facade. They were put on Twitter. We didn't didn't know what we were getting in Reggie Stubblefield, right. and he became a fan favorite. We saw how well he played on the field. He got the name the Sauce Boss, and now we miss him. We talk about him all the time. One year wasn't enough. He was asked the question a thousand times towards the end of the year. Man, one year just wasn't enough, was it? And he said, no, sir, it wasn't. He wanted more time as a cat. He wished he had more time as a cat. And guess what? New Another Prairie View A&M kid is coming in who has does have legit stats, who is in the secondary, and Drake Cheatham hopefully is going to be the second coming of Reggie Stubblefield. But like I said, I mean – Joe Klanerman, who who works with the safeties, but is also the defensive coordinator. Man, you feel great that they've added guys that they want. Let's remember, it's it's guys they wanted, first of all, to come in and fill those spots. Now it's time for them to see if they can grow them into good players. And you just need a couple of them to work out anyway. I mean, if you turn a couple of guys out of, like I mentioned, six are transfers this year, a couple of guys pan out, two or three work out, and they're consistent players – yeah, you feel like K-State did a solid job in the transfer portal addressing those empty spaces. All right, we'll take a timeout when we come back. We're going to hear from Marquise Noel. He spoke to the media over the weekend, and it's about a number of things. But, of course, it all circles around the change with the coaching staff and also the transfer portal. That's next on the game. So I did double-check on Echo Boydo. I was right. He is a senior. He does have an extra year of eligibility remaining, but he is a senior this year. Fourth year with the Cats. Julius Brintz is done after this year. There you have it for an update on the starting corners classification. Welcome back to the game. Mitch Fortner, Troy Coverdale, and uh, Big Steve is with us. No DG. He'll join us tomorrow. Now, how about this? Um, Boy, 13 minutes ago, there was a tweet sent out by Josh... Is it Vernay or Vernier? Or Vern- Vernier. 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 Josh is the uh, pre-pregame host on uh, on 610 yeah. in Kansas City. I don't listen to 610. I don't listen to 810. Uh, but um, he, he is triggered because he's obviously going to be a part of this press conference that's taking place with Dayton Moore, the general manager of the Royals. Boy. And um, his quote is, if you're going to blame Cal Eldred – for Bubik and Singer, you better give praise for Daniel Lynch. Is that a direct from Dayton Moore? That is a quote. From direct Dayton Moore. Direct quote from Dayton Moore. And there you have it, Royals fans. Because, yes, Daniel Lynch is off to a solid start this year. But even he will tell you that he has not pitched at his best ability. When I look at his numbers, 29 hits... So he is, on average, giving up a hit an inning. He's also walked 13. So you're running into a guy whose ERA right now is is 3.3. He's got an overall mark of 2-2. Two and two. That's, that's solid. But it's concerning because he's getting a lot of traffic on the base paths around him. And it is almost as if either he has to strike you out, which... He has 29 strikeouts this season. 
or he's going to give up a hit or a walk. That there's no in-between. There's no fly balls. There's no ground ball outs. It's either strikeout. It, it, it's, it's basically, you know, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't, pretty much, at this point. Strikeout or hit or walk. And that's not something that can consistently continue through the course of the summer with a young guy like Daniel Lynch. I do love the fact that he essentially has become Zach Grenke's dog. <laughs> he's at the heels of Grenke at every turn. And he's learning from, really, one of the best pitchers in the league for 20 years. That I'm good with that. I, I like the fact that he's taken that initiative himself and is working to learn it from Zach Grenke. I love that aspect of it. But for Dayton Moore to try and put credit to Cal Eldred for that, then Cal, tell us, why is it working for Daniel Lynch and it's not working for Chris Bubich? See, as a pitching coach, it's not a one guy is okay and two guys uh, stink and you're okay with that. No, Cal Eldrin's not a batter. He's not going to get by at 333 batting average. As a pitching coach, you've got to get that entire staff right. And that has not happened under Cal Eldred. That has not taken place under Cal Eldred. And I get fourth and fifth starters are the toughest. There's a reason why they're that far down on your list of guys in your rotation. That's fine. But I still expect them to be major league caliber. And right now, the guys that they are putting in there show that they can do it at AAA. But when they get to the majors, something's lost. That is Cal Elder's responsibility to glean that out of them, to figure out where it's getting lost. And instead, it's almost as if Dayton Moore is stepping up and saying, oh, well, you can't blame him. It's not his fault. And that's going to fall on a lot of deaf ears. And I bet that Josh Vernier's tweet has probably gotten a ton of traffic sending out that quote. Remember, it's Josh Verner, right? Yes. Yeah, that's Josh. You said Vernier. Vernier, sorry. Verner. My bad. I've heard of him. I've heard of him. He did, yeah, post game, right? Yes, for the Royals. Pre and post, yeah. Uh, meanwhile, tonight you do have an intriguing pitching matchup. Johnny Cueto with the Chicago White Sox <laughs> is going to be against Brad Keller of the Royals, oh, and uh, what a what a perfect distraction this is from all the all the politics that are going on right now and all the headlines for the Royals baseball firing Terry Bradshaw, bringing in a guy that's been with the organization for a while and has been with the minor league system for a while, former scout, and uh, maybe a guy that uh, Bobby Wood Jr. trusts a little bit more than Terry Bradshaw, is coming in to take over. And uh, meanwhile, Cal Eldridge is still the pitching coach. There's only two ways this game can go. It's either going to be I triumph his victory for the Royals or just going to absolutely crush Johnny Cueto. It's going to be the best pitching you've ever seen from Brad Keller. Or it's the Johnny Cueto show, the – the pitching, or I'm sorry, the hitting is just going to be atrocious. The Royals are going to be blanked. And uh, yeah, Brad Keller still throws a good game. 
Cueto has definitely been inconsistent over the last couple of years. And in this case where the White Sox called him up as a starter for the first game of what is a five-game series in four days, that tells me that they're concerned about where their arms are right now and are looking for a quick fix tonight to try and get some help and say, okay, let's see if we can get at least a good one out of him here tonight. All right, let's turn our attention to K-State basketball because this past weekend, Marquis Noel, point guard for K-State, who was one of two returning scholarship players other than Ish Masood, but he's uh, boy, he's certainly quicked in, uh, turned into quickly the face of K-State men's basketball as a returning player. But um, he he does go into some detail about what you you might be wondering how he ended up as a. Uh, in a way, a recruiter for K-State men's basketball, his relationship with the team, with the uh, with the new recruits, and what it was like watching most of the team leave from last year. Here is the media with K-State's Marquise Noel. Just watching on social media, it looks like you and Ish both have been pretty involved in the, in the recruiting process. Is that kind of new for you? Is that something that Coach Tang and the staff have, have encouraged you to do to, to be more engaged, perhaps, than in the past? This is actually my choice. I wanted to be involved in recruiting because I wanted to play along guys that, you know, I could trust and who could trust me um, right away. So it's been a fun process. It's been a it's been a good process. Um, we we got a couple guys off the off the strength of me, Ish, and, you know, all the, all the other coaches. But it's been fun. To, to say the least, it's been fun recruiting. It's been fun just being a part of, you know, this whole rebuilding process. What have you learned from Coach Tang? What have you learned maybe about him that obviously you didn't know the first time you met him? He has a winning mindset. Um, the first couple of days he he came in here, he I picked up a couple of his, you know, quotes and stuff like that. But his mindset to certain things is just – Unremarkable, man. Um, one of one of his quotes was when he first came in here. Ever, we was in a weight room and um, we was working out. And you know how the teams uh, break the huddle and go one, two, three, you know, break or whatever the case may be. He said he came into the huddle. He said, "All right, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna say three, two, one, win." And I'm like, I was thinking, I'm like, why is he saying that? He was like, because we we're never gonna be number number three in anything we're gonna be number one and that really stuck with me I'm like okay this guy really wants to win yeah hey Marquise uh just what was your reaction when you saw nine of your teammates leave I kind of expected it. it it wasn't much of a reaction it was more of a you know we got moved forward um, I, I knew I was gonna stay here I knew me and Isra gonna stay here so we had to do everything in our power to, you know, focus on what's in front of us and not what's behind us. Is there anything Coach Tang has preached with you so far that he wants you to improve on next season or be a little bit different player? It just preaches, you know, consistency, winning the day, winning each and every drill, continue to keep being me. And that's what I love about him the most because he preaches, you know, be you, whoever you are, be you, uh, win a day and over uh, – a long span of time, then you'll see the, the results. And that's what I really like about Coach Tang. Can you also walk me through uh, what kind of a official visit is like on your end when you're hosting a recruit? What all are you doing with these guys? Yeah, we're just going out to eat, having fun, talking about certain experiences that we each shared or, you know, certain experiences that they shared and 
but take them to the gym, shoot, you know, just be around them, show them love, show them as much love as we can and make them feel at home. Um, we don't try to, you know, convince anybody, but we just try to be ourselves and whoever, you know, feel the genuineness behind that um, will commit. So, hey Marquise, what kind of uh, value have you uh, found from the interactions that you've gotten with the incoming recruits that have come on board already? I noticed that, you know, everybody that committed that came from other places had the same mindset as me and that's to get better and win. So, you know, that's a huge part of what this team is trying to rebuild and do. You know, we got guys like Cam Carter who sat out much of his season last year and he just wants to come in and work. Jarrell Carter, same thing. He sat out and wants to come in and work. So all these guys just want to come in and get better leave their egos aside and that's a, a huge part of where we need to be right now fundamentally speaking what's your number one focus for the offseason getting some players here that's probably priority number one and then just focusing on my health and you know adding little things to my game i'm just trying to get better each and every day as much as i can hey marquise i wanted to ask you played for you know two different coaches at k-state now what, what would you say is the biggest difference or uh adjustment i guess uh from playing for bruce weber versus you haven't played a game for Jerome Tang yet, but being in his system. The biggest difference between Coach Weber and, and Coach Tang is, dang, you really put me on the spot right now. Glenn, that's a very good question. I haven't played much. I haven't, you know, really been around and played a game under Coach Jerome Tang. So, but they're very similar in both ways. You know, they want to win. You know, they're passionate about, you know, K-State basketball and the culture here. They are two hard workers that, you know, I've, I can't even imagine, like, coaches working this hard. And, you know, they, they are very good people. They, they want to win. They want to help, uh, you know, people out. They want to help, you know, K-State community out. And I can't find much of a difference, but if I can say one is just, you know, one is more up to par to, um, to the culture and to, you know, my community than, than the other one, so. Tang and his coaching staff kind of decided to start from scratch from a roster standpoint. You and Ish were kind of the two guys they decided they wanted to keep and to build around. What does that mean to you, just that they made the decision? Uh, there wasn't many guys they decided to keep around, but you were one of the guys they said they wanted to make sure that you stayed at Kansas State. Yeah, man. It was they, – they, they would have had to do a lot to to take me off this team because, you know, I was I was trying to stay. So, you know, when Coach Tang said he was evaluating and, and seeing who he wanted to stage, I was probably, me and Ish was probably one of the hardest working, you know, combos there was. So it's been, it's been a, it's been a crazy journey so far. And we just got to keep rebuilding, keep getting better. And then uh, what was your reaction to Nigel Pack deciding to transfer away? Were, were you surprised by that? Did it catch you off guard? And then he obviously got quite the, uh, the NIL deal. Uh, what, just what were your, your thoughts or emotions on that situation? I kind of knew it was up in the air. Um, I didn't know if he would stay or if he, if he would leave. But once he entered the transfer portal, I knew it was no coming back. I knew that, you know, Nigel wanted to see other options. I'm super, super, you know, proud of him and the decision he made. Um, there's no love loss between me and him or between anybody that's on this team. Um, at the end of the day, that's his business. Um, you gotta, you gotta look at it that way. And you know, he's happy. We're happy. Um, all we gotta do is keep moving forward. And the last one for me, we've talked a lot about your relationship with Jerome Tang and getting to know him, but he's built quite the coaching staff here in Manhattan. So, um, what, what is your relationship been like with those guys? Have you met all of them and just kind of share your experience so far with the staff as a whole? Man, the coaching staff is is great. There's a bunch of masterminds, a bunch of, you know, 
vets in this field. Um, we got coaches like you know, Coach Sutton, who's we call him Mr. Miyagi because he's he's a very good trainer. He's a very good mastermind at what he does. Um, then you got guys like Coach Reem, Coach Yorick, who are tremendous recruits. And you got Coach Bourne, who, who man, you, you go down the list, man, it's, it's a bunch of great coaches. And, you know, from, from top to bottom, they're all at, adding value in their own way. So I really like them. I really enjoyed it. Enjoyed them being here. I'm pretty sure it's going to be a very good year with them. Hey, Marquise, uh, if you had to pick one, would you say there's one signee coming in for next season that you're most excited for? The most excited signee is probably Naquan, who's from New York, who, has a, who came from similar backgrounds, who plays with that passion and, and joy and love for the game that me and Ish plays with. So that's probably the one where I really want to get on the court and, and play alongside of him, and I really want to see how he does. Also, Ryan, I heard your, I heard your uh, podcast. I just want to say thank you for giving me some motivation. Thank you um, for saying what you said. Um, I appreciate that. And, yeah, just thank you. Ooh, it get a little, little weird there at the end, didn't okay. it? Okay. Like, uh, Marquise Noel giving a little shout out there to Ryan Wallace from Go Power Cat afterwards there about uh, the motivation. I don't know what he said, what Ryan said. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, the common thing I remember hearing about Marquise Noel, maybe the one complaint was that um, – you know, his turnovers were a high number. Right. I always came back with the argument. I was like, look at the assist to turnover ratio. And yeah. Wyatt, Wyatt would repeat it as well. Like, he was like third best in the Big 12 in assist to turnover ratio. Like, if he did make those turnover mistakes, he would twofold make up for it. Or even more than that. Well, and one of the things that was always striking to me as well is, you know, with his turnovers how many of those were in the process of trying to start the offense uh, maneuvering and looking for guys in a situation say like trying to punch it inside to the fives well we found out that that essentially was a black hole for the course of the season how many of those turnovers did he get dinged for that could very well have been put on a center that wasn't able to take in a pass cleanly all right let's take a break and when we come back your number one song of the day next. It has been a long time since we've kicked off the week with the number one song from the 90s. More hits me than I could do the top 40 thing very easily. The what? The, What'd you the just top do? 40. I was going to go for the station calls from that other life that I lived here in town. More music, better variety. Yeah, I'm lost. I think he's trying to say, like, he he's not saying the call letters from the other oh. station. Well, I mean, we have yeah, a station my... that would play this. It's right over there, right next door. True. That would be Sunshine, yes. But then again, I don't know how the FCC feels about calling another station's call sign on a different station. 
Probably not too From happy about that. From 1990, Escapade by Janet Jackson, who's celebrating her 56th birthday today. Three weeks at number one. A Jammin' Lewis production, by the way. Does anybody know who that is? Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Who they are? Yeah. Uh, Prince Heritage. Okay. They were founding members of the time. There it is. She is the 10th and youngest of the Jackson family from Gary, Indiana. Singer, songwriter, actress, dancer. Well, you know what she is known for? Um, 2004, Super Bowl 38. Halftime show controversy. You know, that really put her in a a blacklist situation when yes, it came it to the music industry. Song wasn't played as much on radio stations. Certainly wasn't getting any... Pl- like if. If her videos were getting played at all on MTV or any music station, it certainly wasn't going to be played anymore. And, uh, and promotion, sales, everything just kind of really dropped. And yet Justin Timberlake got by with no issues. Yeah. Yep. Uh-huh. White male versus black female. Uh, yep. But she has sold over 100 million records worldwide, and she is one of the world's best-selling artists. She holds the record for the most consecutive top 10 songs on the Billboard Hot 100 by a female artist with 18. And that is an insane number. From 1987 through 1996, that decade, she almost was as hot as Michael was at his peak. I do have a a nugget that, in a way, backs that up here in just a moment. Let's see here. Uh, 2008, Billboard placed her number seven on the uh, best artists of all time. In 2019, she was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. 11 studio albums, 30 top 40 hits, and this is her third of 10 number ones. Now, this is from her fourth album, Rhythm Nation, 1814. And including this song, seven songs on that album were top five singles. An unheard of number for one album. She even bested her brother, Michael, with Thriller. Thriller did not have seven top five singles. He just had five. (laughs) And Thriller is considered one of the best albums of all time. One of the best selling albums of all time. It's like in the top five, isn't it? It is. Mm -hmm. Uh, let's see here. All right. So when the song was being made, as a matter of fact, before the song was made, she had a different idea of what this song would be when it comes to placement on the album. She wanted to remake Martha Reeves and the Vandals' Nowhere to Run. I think everybody knows that song. They would recognize it if they heard it. But the uh, producers and co-writers, Jimmy Jam and Jerry Lewis, who you mentioned earlier, they decided, no, you need something that's original. You need something that's upbeat. And so this is what they came up with. The word escapade was from a notebook that they had just for song title ideas. And Janet would come up with the rest of the lyrics. And because of this album, Rhythm Nation World Tour 1990 became a thing. It was her very first concert tour. 
and she began that tour the same week this became number one. Because of the album, I mean, the album is much bigger than just the song itself, for sure. Janet Jackson, because of the album, received nine Grammy Award nominations, including becoming the first woman to be nominated for Producer of the Year. That was a surprise to me. It took until the 1990 Grammy Awards to have a woman nominated for Producer Mm -hmm. of the Year. A man dominated field no doubt incredibly long time and it probably still is the team Lewis and Jam tell a great story about producing Janet and how they almost screwed up their initial record through because they set their tapes at a certain level because they had seen Prince do it what they didn't realize was that he had compensated on the uh, inputs so that everything looked like it was distorting, but it wasn't. Now, would you hear this song at the band parties? Not so much. No, Janet? Again, we were... I don't recall any of the songs we really listened to. I remember, you know, we had college football on if you were in the house okay. a bit. Saturday Night Live would be up. Yeah, but <laughs> Next Generation would show up. Aggieville. Would that this be could, bumping in Aggieville? You, you would hear it in Aggieville, yes. Though, man, to be in Aggieville in the early 1990s, I wonder how different it was back then compared to now. We were talking this weekend. My brother and I were discussing Snookies being the upstairs over Brothers, the building that's long gone now, where Snookies was... Uh, for years had been the uh, had been a place where the dance floor was on springs. Okay. Springs. Because it would was conceived as a dance hall back in the 50s. Dan Walter and Aggieville can probably will have much more on that than I do, but what was your favorite bar back then? Chance. Rusty's. Rusty's. Utilized the Outback more so than the patio, but had my share of evenings on the patio. Did they have Beauty on the Beach back then? They did. I was wondering how far back that went. Mm-hmm. All right, Big Steve, you ready to host some uh, Ask Us Anything? Ready as I'll ever be. You know what? Kill the Janet. And now start up the Earth, Wind, and Fire, because we're just going to do it right now. You get us out when we need to get out. Okay. Sounds good to me. All right, so today's Ask a K-Rocker question from K-Rock is, what high school stereotype were you, or Mm. were you one of a kind? For me, my answer was I was kind of the quiet, shy kid. Not that you would know, but I am definitely an introvert. I don't really like going out much. Well, I'm pretty sure I have some listeners that went to high school with me. They They would tell you, certainly, I was Mr. Popular, homecoming king, prom king, everything. No, that, that wasn't me. I was kind of, like, I, I got along with everybody. I don't know if I classified as anything. I was, I, I played sports, funny, um, you know, I did things like choir. I did shop. I did construction tech. So I kind of fit, because when you think of high school category, you know, cliques, right. you, you either go jock or you go preppy. I wasn't preppy. Just, I certainly wasn't that. Uh, but also, like, 
geeks, nerds, um, loners, like, you know, and shop kids. I don't know. I just got along with everybody. Small school anyway. Okay. And what about they, you? They all thought that he was a righteous dude. <laughs> the thing is, I've learned about <laughs> righteous, like, bruh. high school reunions. Like, I've noticed, like, nobody has changed. Everybody still hangs out with everybody. I was like, man, that's the one thing I hope did change. Like, people would branch out and... Right. I was like, this is boring. I'm probably not going to do this again. Clicks are clicks, brother. Clicks are clicks. They stay clicks. Uh, I would definitely fall into the uh, geek category. Okay. Marching band, speech. Uh, I was manager for sports teams, but... Right. You know... Junior high, when when you have a coach that essentially says, "Yeah, you're not going to hit the floor." Why? At a point, you're just kind of like, "Why put myself through it?" Exactly. I feel that. What so, else? You got anything else? I do. Uh, what is your favorite holiday? Thanksgiving. Good answer. I've said it many times. I it, it's all about just being together as family and eating, and it's always during the week. So that means you're you're guaranteed a week a day off of work. Right. So I'm always down for that. It's it just really the uh, the great mixture of everything we enjoy about holidays. Um, I suppose I'll leave my uh, complaints about Christmas for another day. <laughs> yeah, I would have to go with Thanksgiving as well. Christmas, too much of it has been, over the last 20 years, has been about just dealing with travel. To get home, to be able to spend time with both of our families. Right, and so that kind of colored the holiday. Well, does it? It doesn't have to be a federal holiday, right? I could no, pick Halloween. Yeah, actually, mine is Halloween. So, you psychos. Honestly, hot take here: Christmas and Thanksgiving <laughs> are my least favorite due to some personal stuff. I'm not going to get okay, on, well, into on the air, yeah. but just don't like those holidays. All right, uh, you know what's so overrated? Easter. Yeah, about the only reason it's. Is because it's spring. I think that people enjoy Easter. That's well, probably that, what it beyond, is. of course, the religious. Yeah, right. I don't know. I just it's played out. All right. One when, quick... when you're not a kid anymore, it's just not. Sure. It's not the same. You know. Sure. All right. We got about a minute ish left. So right. here's uh, last one. Aside from necessities, what is one thing you could definitely just not go a single day without? Uh, would you call my diet coke a necessity? Yes. Thank you. I mean, it's basically like if you needed an IV, it'd probably have Diet Coke in it. <laughs> you can see the uh, just the darkness returning to his cheeks already. Like necessities, like that. So I mean, it, the thing those. is, like, if we can't live a day without it, it's ne- a necessity, right? Valid. So I'm a. So what I'll bar as necessities is like you know, f- like food, toilet papers, stuff for around the house that you need, like for grocery shopping. Like exclude that stuff. My job? That's fair. Mine would be just, you know, <laughs> streaming services. That's mine. Got five seconds. Bye, Big Steve. Bye, Troy. See ya. See you tomorrow.